Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to The Political Party. This one features outgoing Conservative MP Alan Duncan. He's been a Tory MP for 27 years, prominent during those shadow cabinet years from 1997 onwards. Uh, always seen as very funny and as I, someone I always thought back then would end up being leader of the Conservative Party at some point. So it shows what I know, but he handles it all with great humour and some phenomenal impressions. I'm not going to give any of them away, but they're great and he's got... A fantastic story about what David Cameron said to him in Downing Street. Enjoy, Alan Duncan. Hello, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show. Give me a cheer if you've been here before. Hooray! Welcome back, regulars. Give me a cheer if this is your first time. Oh, welcome, first time. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you all here. Uh, let's take a quick poll as there's an election on at the start. Let's be honest. Only two real options. Uh, do you think it's going to be a massive Tory majority or a big Tory majority? Uh, I, I should take a fair poll at the start. Can we see if you're going to vote Conservative? <laughs> should we do that again? Just to be sure. Give me a chip if you're going to vote Conservative. Yay! There we go. Give me a chip if you're going to vote Labour. Yay! <laughs> Liberal Democrat. Yay! Okay. I'm not sure this is a representative sample, but good on you. Green. Excellent. Uh, Brexit party. UKIP. SNP. BNP. It'd be a surprise, wouldn't it? But uh, it's best to check. Uh, an incredible... Uh, I mean, the t I take it we've all watched this incredible interview last night. The best piece of telly. I mean, I'm not saying it went bad for Jeremy Corbyn, but Prince Andrew has started doing public engagements again. <laughs> He's relieved. He's not perspiring at all. I mean, the whole, the whole thing. One of the best bits of telly I've ever seen. I, I watched it. I watched it once. Was just sat there stunned. I, the only time I've ever felt like that was after I saw the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> Well, the credits have ended and the whole cinema's just still sat there with the lights have come up. No one moving. People going, that was fucking brutal. I can't believe they've allowed it to be shown on television. Oh, I loved every single bit of it. I loved every, every little bit of detail. It was, like a, it was like a season finale of Line of Duty. That's it. Answer the fucking questions, mate. Here we go. This is, uh, just, the best. They've fucking got him here. This is brilliant. Play the tape. Play the tape. Oh, so much of brilliant, brilliant television. And what was remarkable was Corbyn just using the old tricks. That thing where um, Andrew Neal is trying to ask him detailed questions 
And Corbyn basically just reading out the Wikipedia definition of what anti-Semitism is. It doesn't matter what the question was, he goes, you have presided over, have you not, Mr Corbyn, a culture of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Can you not apologise to Labour members who've been bullied racially for being of the Jewish faith? Anti-Semitism is the belief, wrongly in my view, that people of a Jewish religion are somehow inferior. And of course, we do not agree uh, at all. No, but I want to talk to you about the detail about, and I'm from Northern Ireland, it turns out. <laughs> I was in Belfast at the weekend and people were telling me they're very worried about your persecution of Jewish members. Judaism is an Abrahamic religion, <laughs> along with Islam and Christianity. Andrew, and we respect all of those who practice it. Uh, and of course, those who don't. <laughs> Always the caveat. But all the Corbyn classics from there was the, the, the great thing that he does at the end of, a, uh, at the end of, a, of an argument, doesn't matter what the question's about, will sort of put a platitude on the end. Uh, that is often largely irrelevant to the discussion, just to try and bookend it with some sort of moral high ground. And that is why the, no, 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 we must reduce the speed limit in our towns and cities because everyone has the right to live in peace. <laughs> Hang on, is that related to doing 60 and a 40? And then he'd even, and he did it with Andrew last night, with Andrew, with Andrew Neil last night, who did this thing where he'll put on a, a sort of passive aggressive question at the end. who go, we want everyone, no matter where they're from, to live in peace. I'm sure even you could agree with that, Andrew. He's suggesting Andrew Neil is against world peace. It's a very strange interview tactic. Of course, the sniff at the end as well. We believe everyone should be free. Thanks for that, Jeremy. Very kind of you, mate. Um, the temper as well. I mean, the whole, there was a, a surreal bit in it where he pressed him on anti-Semitism because, do you know what? You haven't asked me a single question about poverty. But is that genuinely what you were expecting? <laughs> Swap on the poverty stuff, Jeremy. I think that's what he's going to lead on, mate. <laughs> My God, some of the stuff they've come out with as well. I mean, I mean, this election campaign, the bullshit on all sides, to be fair. Boris Johnson, I'm sick of obviously the Boris Johnson. We have a Brexit deal uh, that, will, uh, that will unleash uh, the potential uh, you, you, you deal ready to go, oven ready, pop it in the microwave. <laughs> it's oven ready. Why are you putting it in the microwave? I mean, some of the some of the stories, of course, that dominated this election have turned out to be false. I only found this out yesterday. There was a piece of fake news circulating on the internet, shared by thousands of people, that was genuinely believed that Joe Swinson kills squirrels. People <laughs> <laughs> it was shared thousands of times online. Someone altered a Daily Mirror article, which claimed that there was video footage of Joe Swinson. By the way, the lovely detail kills him with a slingshot. <laughs> Kills her with a slingshot, and according to the article, she boasts in this video, um, I never, I'm, a, I'm a great shot, but I never go for the easy kill. <laughs> she likes to watch them die slowly. And this is all made up, by the way, just in case you... <laughs> a lot of Lib Dems fallen very quiet during this, during this routine. It's not true, but apparently, according to this fake article, she egged on her friends to quote shoot the bastards between the eyes <laughs> about these red squirrels. Now, ob obviously, you hear this story, you go, well, this is clearly false. This is going to be a fake. Sadly, not everyone thought it was. Uh, one Facebook comment that got shared over, over 5,000 times said, 
Joe Swinson is insane and unable to hold high office. Blowing away red squirrels with a shotgun is not cool and not acceptable. <laughs> Which obviously is true, but fucking hell. It's a shame this has emerged to be fake before she gets to go on Andrew Neil. <laughs> Joe Swinson, did you or did you not see? Load up that gun and get them straight between the eyes. Will you apologise to the red squirrel community for what you've said and done? Of course, the, the real victims of this, and we shouldn't lose sight, I'm not joking about this subject at all, of course, are the, uh, the, the are often referred to as vermin, um, uh, characters who exist on a diet of nuts and are endangered. Um, the Lib Dems deserve our sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> at this very difficult time. Now, uh, <laughs> I've gone through... Uh, has anyone here read any of the manifestos? I've read the three major ones. They're, they're awful, aren't they? Really, <laughs> Labour's actually not badly written, but um, that's more to do with uh, the, the construction of the sentences, not what they actually say. Um, <laughs> Sin, tax, and spend, but uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Labour today launched their race manifesto. Now, not the best day to be doing it, obviously. Um, or was it yesterday? I lose track of it. I think it was yesterday they launched it, and the day started obviously with the chief rabbi um, talking about how concerned he was about a potential Labour government. Um, just to give you an idea, I've read Labour's race manifesto. Some interesting things in there. Their top pledge in their race manifesto is to work with social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook to combat the rise of racism, including anti-Semitism. I think, well, I think, I think they're going to need your help first, guys. I think this is a supply-side issue, really. I think if you behaved yourself, you wouldn't need to be blaming Twitter about it. Um, this, this, an astonishing thing to read, as serious as it is, he says, we will review the recommendations made by Lenny Henry. <laughs> now, I've had to, Lenny Henry is doing some sort of internal review for the Labour Party, but that really does stand out. I mean, we know what his recommendations are going to be, that you can get your good night guarantee and a breakfast included for the littlest <laughs> £29 in a provincial travel lodge. So I don't think they realise how bad this stuff sounds, given what they have currently sort of been through, what they embody. There's a bit here where it says, the number of FTSE 100 company directors from ethnic minority backgrounds has declined since 2017, according to a progress report delivered by a government-backed campaign to boost boardroom diversity. This is in the manifesto of a party that for 120 years has only chosen white men to be its leader. It then says, no matter, how no matter how unbiased some leaders think they are, subconscious negative opinion about people outside their own ethnic group occurs on a regular basis. <laughs> It was, that should have started, take it from me. <laughs> no matter how unbiased some employers are, I'm awful for it. Um, at the launch, uh, it, they were called, it was a race and faith manifesto that they launched. Um, some, of the, uh, some of the people they had at this launch, and this is them trying to reach out to the Jewish community apparently. Jeremy Corbyn has a photo on stage at the end with, amongst others, three Labour candidates who've all had to apologise or have yet to apologise for anti-Semitism. Afsal Khan shared uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Claudia Webb defended Ken Livingston. Uh, and Asparma Begum uh, shared uh, a post in 2017 suggesting Saudi Arabia's leaders were inspired by their Zionist masters. And they're all on stage with Corbyn at the end of this launch, which is meant to reach out to the Jewish community. I mean, it's weird to have those... You might as well launch your NHS manifesto with Harold Shipman. <laughs> 
Got a lot, he worked in it for a long time. Say what you like about Harold, he's got years of experience in the field. Uh, Dawn Butler was the star turn at this. Uh, I mean, some of the things she come out with at this uh, manifesto launch. She quotes a Bob Marley. She said, Bob Marley sang, get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up, don't give up the fight. Always sounds weird when politicians read out song like you can't sort of you can't take a Labour message from that. We might as well go. Bob Marley said, "We'll be together with a roof right over our heads. We'll share the shelter of my single bed," which of course was about the bedroom tax. <laughs> Just sounds naff. You might as well go. I think it was Eiffel sixty-five who said, "I'm blue, dabba dee, dabba da, dabba dee, dabba da, dabba dee, dabba da," which course really spoke to the truth about the cruel impact of these Tory policies. <laughs> I think the sting who said do 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 de da 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 is all I have to say to you and that is all I've got to say to Boris Johnson after nine years of Tory misrule. Uh, there was a really bizarre bit where uh, an awful video you'll have seen shared uh, on social media of the, the rather aggressive man on the tube uh, racially abusing a, a Jewish family with their young boys and uh, Don Butler mentions this and at one point says, when I saw the video of the man on the tube, I wanted to reach through the screen. Yeah, and what, shake his hand, make him lead him, <laughs> pat him on the back. She then, she then says this awful thing where, you know when people try and put themselves at the heart of a story they weren't involved in? And I don't think she realises how naff this sounds. And actually, after seeing the video, I did something. I tweeted, not all heroes wear capes. But that's... That's like a cliche. That doesn't count as getting involved in the story. She might as well have said, and after that I tweeted, you okay, hun? <laughs> what the fuck is that? I tell you what, I'll never forget my reaction to 9-11. I went on MySpace, and uh, I just write, I'm fuming, babes. <laughs> Shows me really serious about tackling Islamic extremism, actually. It was a... An odd bit as well, where she does, and I understand why people do this, make the emotional case for immigration. Without immigration, we wouldn't have all this great food, music, and art, and I totally agree. And then she said, without immigration, we wouldn't have Irish folk songs that leave you in tears. <laughs> oh, I could do without that, thanks so much. <laughs> Turns out not all immigration's been good. Don't make me fucking cry. Talk about a mood killer. She might as well have said, without, without immigration, there'd be none of those jet black shits you do after a night on the Guinness. <laughs> There is, uh, I mean, some of this, I, I do wonder about being sort of, the Tory manifesto, by the way, oven ready, popping in the bikery. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 can, you can hear Boris's voice through it, uh, and that, that is not a positive. <laughs> um, the, the opening line of it is, for the last three and a half years, this, this country has felt trapped like a lion in a cage. We have all shared the same frustration, like some super green supercar is blocked in traffic. Oh, yeah, was, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> how are you feeling today? Oh, I feel like a super green supercar stuck in traffic. And then he basically says, this is incredible. Get Brexit done and we can release the lion from the cage. Now, I don't know about you, but in, where I live, letting lions out of cages is a bad idea. You get Bre is that an analogy for Brexit? A lion marauding through England. You let the lion out of the cage and let it free in towns and cities to tear men, women and children apart. <laughs> I do think I thought this through. I want everyone to have the fundamental security uh, that comes from safe streets and safe neighbourhoods so we are backing our police, putting 20,000 more police on our streets. 
20,000 police, of course, needed because the Tories got 20,000 police <laughs> over that street. A sort of fundamental admission that for the last nine years, we have lacked the fundamental security uh, that we deserve. Um, I mean, it's just cheeky rather than anything, isn't it? Cutting 20,000 and then going, you know what we need? 20,000 coppers. <laughs> it's like Jimmy Savile going, we've got to do something about these local pedos. I mean, they're really... <laughs> Savile and Shipman in one routine. The promise you may have seen has caused a lot of controversy. They've said they're going to recruit 50,000 extra nurses, the Tories. But it turns out 18,500 of those will be, this is a quote, staff they persuade not to leave. <laughs> you have to go around every hospital going, oh, come on. Oh, come, no, 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 come on. I, look, stay for another... Give me another two years. You're going to pay me more. Oh, no, no. We're <laughs> getting a new vending machine. These are exciting times at the Warrington Hospital. Uh, <laughs> he also describes the United Kingdom. You can tell he wrote this. The United Kingdom, the awesome foursome that make up the most successful political union. I'm not sure how the rest of the UK would feel being described as basically... It's always about sex with him. as some sort of... <laughs> Not the only awesome foursome I've had this year, but by far, the most political. I'm not sure that's how they want to. I mean, in a way, I suppose they would see it as that Northern Ireland, Wales, and Scotland getting fucked by England. But um, they all sound like setups to punchline. That's the, I mean, this is it. This is Boris Johnson wrote this manifesto with a straight face. Students learn best when they are in an environment where there are no excuses for bad behaviour. <laughs> oh, fuck you! Yeah. Of course, the opposite applies to me. Uh, um, that's the rather underwhelming Tory manifesto. I mean, I'm not sure I can put you through reading the Labour manifesto out. There is, a, uh, there is a line at the start that I thought was a bit petty. It says, we will, after years of failed foreign interventions and wars, we will end the bomb first, talk later approach. You just think, is this all going to be an attack on Tony Blair? <laughs> Come on, you guys, are, you guys are meant to be bigger than this. They say, yeah, the, this Labour manifesto offers, offers the chance of real change for every generation and every community. When Labour wins, the nurse wins. The pensioner wins, the student wins. The office worker wins, the engineer wins. I mean, if they were to add Nottingham Forest wins, I would probably vote for this. <laughs> but the fact they're the only five people they think that exist. Uh, pensioners, students, office workers, engineers and nurses. Uh, it's fair enough. They said, uh, we will increase the funding available for walking. <laughs> what? Shoes. <laughs> Free shoes. Um, again, as with the Tory manifesto, you can hear Corbyn's voice through this. Very specific policy. We will establish a National Food Commission and review the Allotments Act. <laughs> yeah, that line stays. That, that's my bit. Yeah, well, John, you wrote most of it. Let me have a bit. Fucking hell, man. Why, do you, why, why wouldn't you want to remove the Allotments Act? Well then, you don't even know what it is, mate. Um, all three parties, and I didn't realise this was an issue either, all three parties include a, a promise to ban the keeping of primates as pets. It, it was a good promise. I didn't know people did this. Apparently 7,500 people in the UK have a monkey as a pet. It's a massive national scandal. I mean, you go down a YouTube rabbit hole with this. Um, rabbit holes are also illegal, by the way, if you want to uh, have them in your house. But I would love it if this was what was the line in the sand for a potential voter reading this manifesto. God, I love all this stuff. No, 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 I'm well on board with the nationalisation, anti-Semitism and a four-day week. 
But if they're going to get rid of my pet monkey, they can fuck themselves. Uh, you can tell, by the way, whoever wrote this manifesto was slightly sexually frustrated because there's a line in here. The, f the moment I first read it, I saw it. See if you can spot. Someone's definitely done this on purpose. We will build community wealth by giving communities the powers and resources they need to keep public spending circulating in the local economy rather than being sucked offshore. <laughs> sucked offshore. Please. Sucked off. Sure. <laughs> There's another passage later on that says Brexit will be a major blow. Jobs will be protected. So, <laughs> Pages are stuck together at this point. But, uh, I feel bad just reading out manifestos to you. Is anyone actually enjoying this? Oh, see what is a good policy that I agree with. We will introduce a maximum workplace temperature. Yes, which is 18 degrees C. Fucking people at work turning the heating on. Good old Corbyn, spot on. I mean, it would lead to an escalation in the rounds. So don't you dare turn the heat up. Oh, call the fucking police. Because it's illegal, mate. Welcome to Corbyn's Britain. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, obviously a great thrill to be hosting the show during an election campaign. And today's guest uh, is a phenomenal guest and someone I've wanted to interview for a very long time. But it's true, it's true, it's true. He is uh, he's someone I've... A very funny man. And I'm, I, I think he does, and I think I'm right, a very good Tony Blair impression. So if you'd like to leave now, uh, any call, but I mean that would that would uh, yeah. Anyway, let's let's not dwell on that. Uh, right, ladies and gentlemen, as always, you've been a fantastic audience. We're going to have a quick break now. After the break, I'll be joined by legend of the Tory Party, Alan Duncan. Uh, but enjoy the break, have a drink, and I'll see you in twenty minutes. Thank you very much. Welcome back, uh, and uh, today's guest is someone I genuinely have wanted to interview for a very long time. So I mean, it's uh, been, uh, I mean, for me, for the generation that I grew up in, one of uh, the most dominant Tory voices for a particular time, so particularly following politics from 97 onwards, as someone who was obsessed with the Blair versus Hague years, Alan Duncan was a leading a member of Hague's team, was someone who was seen absolutely as a future Tory leader and future Prime Minister, someone that I would have put money on back then to at some point have led the Conservative Party. He's charismatic, he's funny, he's someone that whoever you vote for, he's liked across the political spectrum, um, but he's standing down at this election. So uh, it feels as though this, this, this huge talent in British politics never reached the heights that I always thought you should have reached. I'm delighted he's here tonight. Please give a huge, rousing political party welcome to Alan Duncan. <laughs> and I'm welcome to the show. Thank you. Have a seat. <laughs> I realise that's quite. A, I realise that, that could have sounded slightly negative bringing you on as someone as perhaps. I think you just made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> but did you? You must have felt at some point that, that the leadership was potentially within your grasp at some point. I sort of half stood once. Can't remember when. Was it 05? 05, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it lasted about five minutes. Uh, but it was to make a point, which is that the party needed to be more progressive. Uh, it had got stuck in a rut of silly thinking that uh, we need to realise that, you know, 
there are lots of Muslims in the country, that uh, young people, north, south, urban, rural, we were just too Westminster focused and out of touch. Uh, so I did my bit and I tried and um, sort of fell flat on my face with really. <laughs> uh, But it was, it was character forming. It was oh, but I, I, I would have put money on you winning it. I mean, let's, let's just start with this campaign that's happening now. How does it feel to not be a candidate in it? Oh, it's liberation. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Watching it from outside, you suddenly think, yeah, they are Muppets. You know, you, you, <laughs> you suddenly realise that all of that formula speak, which politicians adopt as a language, doesn't really persuade. And that without some kind of authenticity and just you know, normal human features and characteristics, it doesn't work. Um, and the, although I think the of all the leaders, Boris actually does project a personality. Um, your, your mimic, by the way, is the best. Um, you've absolutely... No, come on, come on, come on, come on. No, 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 no. We could do a Boris off. Shall we do a Boris? No, no, come on, jumbo, jumbo trade deal. Jumbo, jumbo. <laughs> shall, shall we do the next hour as Boris? Is there, is there... No, 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 God, no, no, no. Is he, is he genuinely like that behind the scenes? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he is... No, um, actually, for, for all the um, reports that we don't get on, we actually do get on. I mean, I was his deputy for two years, and we had a fantastically good relationship. I mean, he was very Brexit-focused, but for obvious reasons, I was doing a, a lot of the broader diplomacy. But as a, a partnership... Don't take that the wrong way. Uh, uh, but, um, and we actually got on extremely well. And, and actually, the magic moment was when he dressed down the Russian ambassador after the poisoning in Salisbury. I mean, I have to say, he was masterly. Um, uh, for all his faults, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, he was brilliant. And how did he word it? Well, amazingly, he stuck to the script. <laughs> I mean, you know, he had a script, but it, it, it... I mean, I won't describe it all, and he was there, but he said what he had to say directly, and uh, rising to a crescendo of sort of admonition and uh, disapproval and um, it, was, it, was, it was absolutely brilliant. But was he sort of full Boris? Was he like, come on, are you... Uh, <laughs> you... Uh, you... <laughs> <laughs> you or whatever you... Come on, you can't be, are you nervous? Salt screaming. ZZs. I might say so, it was... Rather more formal than that, <laughs> and he completely uh, stuck to the line, but delivered, you know, Demarche, you know, a sort of, you know, diplomatic bollocking, um, really fantastically. It was the moment where I, I'd say, I mean, I was privileged actually to be in the room of only, you know, five people in the room, uh, that I was most proud of him. And did that change your opinion? Have you, have you ever seen that side of him before? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I mean, the, there is a very, very serious, thoughtful side to him. Um, he's, he's a very complex character, uh, and, um, but he's a big, big, big person. Uh, you know, look, he has dominated our politics since he took over in July. He filled the vacuum in August. Uh, he is the biggest political character, and um, there's no doubt, I think, that he's, he is in command of the political debate at the moment. We'll see what happens on the 12th. I mean, I think we're going to win. I'm, I'm not boastful in saying that we're going to just sweep the board or anything. But it just feels to me, a nice little political antennae, that we are going to get a working majority. 
uh, might be small, might be a bit bigger, and it'll get us out of the deadlock. And nothing, I think, could be worse than continuing deadlock. Whatever you think about Brexit, whatever you think about government, you know, Corbyn, anything, whatever you might think, there's nothing worse than political deadlock. And if we can get out of that, uh, then I think it's, it's good for everybody. And, and just in terms of him then, and, and your working relationship with him, did he have a nickname for you or anything like that? Dunny. He was a crikey looking. Hunky Dunky. Or something. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's Soames, actually. Hunks, how are you? Bloody hell, Hunks. Um, uh, did he call you Hunks? He called him, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and worse, actually, but we won't go into that. Oh, you can if you like. No, 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 no. Um, no, Boris, I'm not aware that he's got a nickname for me. But how would he, um, would he treat you with your respect? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's a very, very good colleague. Very approachable, very welcome, always humorous. I never saw him being, you know, sort of using his office to be bossy with me. Never, ever, ever. Uh, and so I would sometimes go to him with some, you know, difficult, detailed problems and say, look, come on, you've got to, look, got to focus on this. And I'd say, right, sit down, focus on this, and then we get a decision. And you would. And is that the best way to deal with him, do you think? To, oh, be, <laughs> yeah, to be kind of tough with him? Does he like that? Uh, <laughs> um, I've never quite seen my... Anyway, uh, I, um, look, the, the, the point about him is you can be direct with him okay. and uh, he never takes umbrage or throws a wobbly or something. He, he, yeah, he, he's very human. He is very human. Because people say he can be quite thin-skinned, which I'm surprised by, given how... Sort of an extrovert he is. It seems that people say he's actually quite sensitive, and that criticism of him does hurt. Well, I think he likes to be liked. There's no doubt he loves the attention. There's no doubt about it. It's one of his obvious motivations. Um, but he can take a robust conversation without uh, taking umbrage. And, and you know, I think that I'm a defender of prime ministers. I'm the ultimate loyalist in that I think that, particularly over the last couple of years. If you were disloyal to the party, you risked sinking the whole ship. So there were times when I had to go at him because I was a defender of Theresa May because she was prime minister. But I said very clearly to him, as he won the leadership election, I will now defend you because you are going to be, and now are, the prime minister. Um, but he never bears grudges. And I think that is a, a big quality in someone. It's, it's a... You know, a classical quality, you can either chop their head off or you can be chivalrous, and actually he's the latter. You've worked alongside and for numerous Tory leaders. John Major used your house as his campaign headquarters in 90... Before I was an MP, 90, uh, 1990, yeah. 1990, yeah, yeah. What was yeah. he like? Um, very approachable. I mean, I, uh, although I, uh, we were mimicking Boris, I mean, I think I was probably not a junior minister in 1995 because I got into trouble when I, I was in the tea room and, and I was t all my, you know, half a dozen parliamentary colleagues and, and there was me saying, oh dear, it's all going terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all saying, oh, you're fantastic, I'll do that again. Oh dear, I, li <laughs> I like peas. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a tap on my shoulder and I, good afternoon, Prime Minister. <laughs> But we, we've become very, very good friends. I have a drink with him, what, every couple of months or something. And um, I, I, you know, I, I think it does reflect the Conservative Party and our attitude to our leaders, be it a woman, be it John Major, who did not go to university, 
that if they're good at what they do, we respect them and uh, like what, you know, like their service and their achievement. And I, I'm, I'm a major admirer, actually, yeah. And he, he's obviously sort of propelled himself, as, as is Michael Heseltine, in a way. You know, these, these big Tory figures that had laid dormant for so long and now... Mm. It, it, the public is reappraising them because of how, how articulate and how passionate they've been about trying to stop Brexit. Well, look, I admire their passion. And, um, but my conclusion is that this is done. I mean, I, I, I sense from the earlier poll I'm talking to a 90% Liberal Democrat audience. <laughs> um, so um, uh, <laughs> I, I just think, I mean, it's one of the reasons I've left politics. I think we've lost. Who's we? Uh, well, I mean, I... I would obviously much rather that we'd stayed in the EU. Um, I think that we are increasingly interdependent uh, economically and politically. I think that it does serve our interests to work within a bloc. Um, and I, I believe in big <coughs> markets where you actually can share economic prosperity and success. Now, whether we can still do that once we've left the EU remains to be seen, but I'm definitely against no deal. Um, I'm prepared and was prepared, now I'm out, doesn't matter, to support a deal, and all credit to Boris for getting one. But we lost the referendum. Never, ever have a referendum. I mean, um, David Cameron was constitutionally very glib, and he... I mean, the Fixed-Term Parliament Act was a, all you know, fine for the coalition, the Liberal Democrats, but should have finished after five years. Um, I think that saying you have to have a vote in Parliament to have military activity is a real, real mistake for successful defence. Um, and a couple of other things I could point to, but uh, our constitutional tidiness, I think, has been completely turned on its head. And the referendum, what was the motive? The motive was quite simply to buy the votes of UKIP in order to try and get a Conservative victory without properly looking at the price. And the other thing I would add was a, um, a Scottish referendum. So, I mean, I think I'm very critical of David Cameron for being very fast and loose with these deep, difficult constitutional moments and decisions and laws. But he would say, and he may have said, you know, I don't, I don't agree. You know, I, no, I, I think, you know, I, I think about it a lot. I think we had to put that issue to the British people. I know, I think we did, and I, I, I regret it. But no, I, I, I disagree. You are that. bloody good. I have to say, you really are. You really are. I felt I was in the presence. <laughs> and how did that make you feel? Well, I, well, I, I, I'll tell. I, 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 I was in the presence with him once in uh, Downing Street and because um, he was concerned that I was going to... Uh, Impersonate him. Well, <laughs> he is... Uh, yeah, anyway, I... I um, uh, what was he, he, no, hold on, he was concerned that I was going to be a, a loud voice in the vote to leave the EU. And the, my first ever vote as an 18-year-old was to uh, uh, leave um, in the 75 referendum. And I, was, I found it very, very difficult. And he, um, he said, come and have a word. So I went into, um, into uh, his study in, in number 10. And I sat on the sofa next to Larry the cat. <laughs> he said, the first time you've been so close to pussies for a long time. Said, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I thought, 
I thought, I'm not sure this is going to go very well. Uh, 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 said that? Is this being broadcast? Uh, uh, this is a private conversation, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. And, um, I mean, and... Actually, the next sentence, I can't possibly say, but he did imply, and I'll tell you privately afterwards, that, you know, if, if there were a referendum and we were to vote to leave, it would be two and a half years of complete turmoil. And um, he was right, uh, at least on that. And, I, I, you know, I went away and I really thought about it, and then I wrote an article in the Telegraph saying, actually, you know, I've been a Eurosceptic for 40 years, but this would be a big mistake. So do you think, because he seemed to underestimate the, the forces that he was unleashing, really, and he, you know, in these documentaries and his book, him and others say, well, you know, we'd always, William Hague, I would count in that number of people who said, well, you know, you kind of had to be, you're a sceptic, you know, but you were always influencing people, every word well, look, was, well, was, was nudging the British public in a way, and then all these people who've been, you're a sceptic, turn around and go, oh, not really, we've got to stay, and you think, but you've kind of done the damage over that period of time. But I think... You know, first of all, he thought there was no way that the people would vote to leave. And then suddenly, you know, 40 years of the Daily Mail saying we were going to have square tomatoes and straight bananas <laughs> and, you know, they were going to... Um, were somehow guilty of all things that we didn't like, uh, came home to roost. And it was a tragedy of mixed reasons and yes. opinions. You know, immigration, blaming people for things. I mean, you know... People weren't actually that angry about European immigration nearly as much as they were about North African, which has nothing to do with the EU. So all of this, these things got mixed up into a, a sort of cauldron of protest and objection and let's blame the EU for everything, and we lost. But we lost, and so now we have to, we have to come out of this uh, in a way that um, makes the country successful and keeps us as a serious international power. And Is that possible, do you well, it has to be. I mean, uh, I don't think there's any option. I mean, I, I think we have to make a success out of this. I mean, you can see my view, but you've got to move on and accept a verdict and make a success out of it. And that's where I think we now are. Which is why I think the Heseltine view is, is, is not rational. I think it's a political misjudgment because the world has moved on from that in the last two years. So when you tell David Cameron, you, in fact, you're not going to vote Leave or campaign Leave, you're going to vote Remain, he yeah. must have been delighted. Well, I don't think it made a hate of the difference, but I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's pleased. Um, but then I think we made a mess of the campaign. It was entirely a Conservative Party campaign. Labour were nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Alan Johnson, who was supposedly, you know, the leader of the... Where the hell was he? So it just became an Osborne-Cameron campaign. So then it became a slightly anti-government reaction. And all of these things just became a historical uh, problem. You know, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, we mentioned John Major. You then rise to 
prominence in the in the Hague years when you're oh. a real star. Oh, William. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's been taking the piss out of me for 40 years, William. He um, he, he did my 50th party. I had, I had William and Roy Bremner. I mean, crikey, you know, that's not, not bad. And Margaret Thatcher was there, you know, so... Um, Roy Bremner did a Margaret Thatcher imitation, and William Hague said, "Oh, great! Yeah, got Alan. He's fifty. <laughs> so, uh, so I was the MP for Rutland, the smallest county, okay, and all that, and so small that it was only half the constituency. It's an amazing coincidence of history that the smallest county is represented by the smallest member." <laughs> <laughs> He's the, he's the, he, what is he, he's the, he, he's the last to know when it's raining and the first to know when it's flooding. <laughs> cheeky, oh, man. Cheeky bastard. <coughs> I really, but we're, we're good mates and um, I, I got my own back at his 50th, but I can't remember any of the jokes. Um, they're not palatable. Was <laughs> he, uh... I mean, it seemed that you two had a very good working relationship. Yeah, 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 very, very, yeah. You ever do judo with him? No. <laughs> and I wouldn't say he ever did me any favours. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, George Osborne runs the sort of Cameron campaign and becomes shadow chancellor. I run William Hague's and do the paper clips. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because my view is that when someone becomes leader, they've got to be free to do whatever they want to do got to be their own man. But it was a tough four or, years. Or, 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 or woman. Or woman. Um, a tough period to be leading in the Tory party at that point, because the party wasn't oh. really ready for modernisation at that point. No, well, William actually very liberal-minded. I, I, I don't think that was the issue. I, I mean, I think that Blair was so dominant because he'd very, very carefully and cleverly crafted an appeal far beyond, you know, the sort of thing we're seeing with Jeremy Corbyn at the moment, uh, or Michael Foote before him, uh, and, and uh, appealed to the middle ground with good sense, economic reason, um, and did it brilliantly. And he had amazing communication skills. No. <laughs> you, did, you did a really good you know, Tony Blair impression. I don't, it's not that good. You're just so marvellous. I say, <laughs> you know, you're just, you're, you know, you're just the best. But he, uh, he, um, Keep going, I'm almost there. He, 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 <laughs> but also, but also, I mean, I, I've got to put this very carefully. Um, you know, John Smith died. And so you suddenly have a vacancy. And instead of having a horrible leadership election where there is viciousness and all that, you're going straight into, um, if you like, a, a new chapter with a clean break. Uh, and I, I knew John Smith quite I mean, I, I had, used to have a drink with him every now and then in the smoking room in the Commons, which, which, because we knew each other from when I was president of the Oxford Union and we had a televised devolution debate in 1979. And we, we struck up quite a nice sort of friendship and then 10 years later you know there we were and then he sadly died um but tony blair had that really clean launch if you like yes. uh where he was able to put his agenda without his predecessor looking as you know, though he was being attacked or or revised or whatever and um he handled it extremely well and at that point did you did you think this guy is a threat to the Tory party. Yeah. 
I did, yeah, you could see. I mean, I was sitting as a backbencher, you know, I was elected in 92. Uh, we had the, you know, the misery of the 92 to 97 <laughs> parliament. I mean, yes. Maastricht was dribble, dribble, dribble. I mean, God, Bill Cash is still around. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's not television, but... <laughs> I, 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 and um, it, the chief clerk of the Commons said to me, I've been here 40 years, this is the first parliament which has never settled down. And um, it was a miserable period. And then you had back to basics, a small majority, Maastricht rebellion. Black Wednesday. Black, Wen Black Wednesday. <laughs> um, and it was just total misery. It was, gr it was attrition. And uh, I, th I think the politics of, you know, back to basics and all that and, you know, as I would see it, exploiting uh, what the, uh, let's work it out, Dunblane, was pretty filthy. But it was very effective politics. And we just got smashed. And um, we needed to go away and, uh, you know, remake ourselves. You, you talk about being loyal to leaders. Ian Duncan Smith was one of those Maastricht rebels, one of the bastards, as, uh, as John Major puts it. How did oh, you... no, no, I said worse. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel then when he became leader? Well, I was his shadow foreign minister during the sort of Iraq stuff and all that. Um, uh, it was not an easy period. And, you know, I remember an awkward moment where he said, oh, I'm going to go to the White House and I'm going to see, I can't remember who was president Bush. at the time, yeah, Bush, and, and straight away, you know, there was the slap down. Because, of course, Jonathan Powell phones up the White House and said, you know, this is getting a bit much. And, um, and so he didn't get through the door, and it just looked humiliating. Because it was, oh, I've got to meet the President of the United States. And it just looked tacky. Um, but I mean, uh, my generation elected in 92, I think, held the party together through the Blair slash Brown years. And um, then everybody else benefited from it. Um, but I think we did hold it together for a decade. So with Duncan Smith, because that period, Haig was, it felt with Haig that he was talented, but it wasn't his time. He, he maybe got the leadership too early. With Duncan Smith, it felt like that was just never going to succeed at all. Well, there are two things, though. One is people say to me, knowing I'm a friend of William, is, oh, he got it too early. To which I say, yeah, but if he hadn't got it then, he wouldn't be who he is now. Yes. So you've got to take the opportunity when it comes. Um, and the, what was the second point? You, uh, the... Indon and Smith felt very different. People weren't saying, oh, well, this is a guy who yeah. in five years' time will be amazing. No. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they didn't. Um, and then we had Michael. Michael. <laughs> Michael. We went through lots of leaders. Um, I've, I think I've known seven, I think, since I... Yes. Quite a lot. Too many. Um... So just on Ian Duncan Smith, because I remember that, that period felt like whatever the electoral verdict, at least Haig was kind of new, was clearly sort of precocious talent, but needed perhaps time. But it felt like Duncan Smith was a kind of step backwards, like the party really wasn't learning um, what the public... Actually, saying. that's the point I was going to make, that um, he only won by one vote in the second ballot. And so you had Michael Portillo who was just one vote behind, and how history would have been different if he had beaten Ian Duncan Smith. Um, and it was a small electorate, because we'd been so swamped by the Blair victories, that 
that we only had, what, 200 members of parliament or something, 250? So the, the numbers voting were tiny, yes. and therefore, you know, two people changing their mind changed the course of history. So um, Michael Portillo, who was expected to win, was beaten by Ian Duncan Smith because that was an early version of hardline post-Maastricht Euro-horror. I mean, Portillo, I mean, he really is seen as one of the best the Tories never had. Do you think he would yeah. have been a, a, as good a leader as the myth suggests? I think so. He's got really acute intellectual qualities. Uh, he's got courage, I and mean, he's also very decisive. And he was a very, very good Secretary of State for Defence. Yes. So, yeah, losing Enfield Southgate and losing Michael Portillo was a real political loss for us, I think. But now they just go the next day anyway. You know, um, Tony Blair went the day after he finished. Um, uh, David Cameron did, George Osborne a couple of days later. Parliament keeps on being diminished by people just leaving it because it, it's... It's, it's sort of almost demeaning to be in it and the only compensation is if you're at a ministerial level where you feel you're really doing something decisive. You can't earn money and be in it anymore. That's the consequence of the expenses issue. So people just think it's too personally sort of um, And Theresa May burdensome. stuck around. Theresa May is right in there, speaking in Parliament, knocking yeah. on doors. She's kind of been liberated by it. She seems to be enjoying it more now than she ever did. Yeah, I think she's very dutiful. So she will stay for the next parliament, and good for her, I think. Yeah. So with Portillo, was that someone who you would have thought, you know what, get him in, and then we're back in business? Well, I think he'd have made much more of a mark, because uh, I think he had much deeper personal qualities, deeper intellectual qualities. Um, loves public transport. Uh, <laughs> loves public transport, yeah, 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 exactly. Very good on trains. Trains, trains of thought, lots of things. Uh, he's, uh, no, he was a loss, definitely. He, um, the way that he... <laughs> he always tied an economics tutor. Try that again, by the way. Would, would, take, <laughs> would eat a donut and then spend the whole term looking like he was going to burn. Um, <laughs> but, but never would. And I, I feel with Mike that he talks as if they At some point, he's going to go... <laughs> I feel so much better. <laughs> it talks as if he's about to bring something up. Um, glad, but, glad it's that end, anyway, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, I mean, he just... He's no, he's a good great. Problem. But yeah. you're in, do you feel like you're in that sort of tier of people that the public say, actually, these would be great leaders, but the party, for some reason, at whatever point, doesn't go for those guys? Well, that's flattering of you even to ask the question, but, I mean, I think the key thing for a politician to keep your feet on the ground and not get, you know, into this rarefied atmosphere of thinking you're so important. Um, look, politics is 90% luck. And um, now there's a lot of pressure to, you know, appoint people, you be young or ethnic or female, whatever it might be, um, uh, which is good because diversity is a very, very good thing and uh, politics has to express this. But the more conventional sort of person, you know, never mind the gay stuff, that's now the norm, um, <laughs> so rather get gets passed over. And, and it's, I have a very simple rule. Always be a happy politician. As soon as you get bitter and you think, I'm better than them, or something like that, just 
you know, you don't count for anything. Get out. And there are too many people who are there too long, too self-regarding, or too bitter, and no bloody good. I mean, do you feel, do you think your sexuality held you back within the Tory party? Do you think you were kind of gay at the wrong time? <laughs> I think the 30s would have been much better. <laughs> um, yes, actually. I mean, if you put it that way, I mean, there's no wrong time to be gay because you either are or you aren't. And um, it's whether the age in which you live is right or wrong, not whether you are. Um, but I think politically, um, it did hold me back and was very difficult. I mean, I can tell you two or three things. I mean, a week after I was selected, the area agent, she said, now, is there anything that, you know, you need to tell us? And I said, no. Said, Are you sure, you know, anything? You said, no. You know, and I had this sort of inquisition. I just basically want to say, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, uh, I know that I was blackballed from the Whip's office in 1994. So one of them said, no, can't do that. It'd be a dreadful story in the mail on Sunday. I can't possibly have it on Duncan. And if you look at the just-published Kenneth Rose <laughs> Diaries, Volume 2, the, uh, whatever page it is, there's a little... <laughs> falls oh. open in your <laughs> No, it falls open in the index, actually. Is <laughs> <laughs> um, a little bit where he said he had lunch with Lord King of British Airways. And it just said, um, uh, John King is very worried that... This is 2002 that uh, his MP, Alan Duncan, has just come out as a homosexual. That's in there. Now, that is a perfect illustration of the attitudes you had to overcome. And, you know, that's the way it was. So uh, I read that now, and I look back, and I think, oh, I was the first Conservative ever to say so. I think it's fine by me. But it's so harsh, <laughs> and it's so unfair that it should hold you back. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair, and politics is even less than fair. So, but I've had a good run, you know. I've, I've, um, I've made some marks. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've loved my constituency. I've enjoyed. I've had some difficult moments, um, some miserable moments. Um, uh, but I've had four years as an international development minister, where I've, you know, been to some fantastic countries and turned government money, taxpayers' money, into doing some real good for poor people and conflict-ridden states. Um, and I've had three years as a foreign minister at a fascinating time, uh, looking after pretty well the left-hand side of the world, you know, 77 countries, did all of did Russia, Central Asia, Latin America, America, Europe, Balkans, where there's still a lot of work to be done in reconciling um, people from the conflict of 20 years ago. And I, I loved it. I loved it. I really enjoyed you know, international diplomacy. I love it. Is there any part of you that, when you think of the area in which you've been a, a, a politician at a top level, and were you ever tempted? So there are always sort of rumours of defections. Did anyone in New Labour ever tap you up? <laughs> <laughs> Not to defect. <laughs> 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 the, um, uh, um, no, actually. I mean, I mean, look. I mean, over the the last Brexit sort of you know year, people have thought you know would I perhaps go? And uh, no. Um, 
I, 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 I stay with the convoy, um, but I hope not in a way that's just sort of, you know, uh, ignoring principle. My judgment is that the, you know, the stability of government uh, is very important and that you, you know, there are bigger issues than just the immediate issue of Brexit. You know, will, will we have a complete loss of faith in our political system? Will, the, will we become ungovernable for six months? All of that kind of stuff. So my view was, um, express my view, but stay with the ship and keep it afloat. You obviously had those issues with your party chair in the early 90s. In terms of your relationship with your local party now, a lot of Conservative MPs have been through experiences not dissimilar to the ones that some Labour MPs have been through, where all of a sudden it feels like their local party has become hostile. Is that something that you experienced? No. I had three difficult people. I knew exactly who they were. They were two over 80 and one over 65. And I'm really looking forward to the moment. Now they that lose I... their TV licence? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to the moment now that I'm no longer the MP when I can find them in the street and say, ah, I've been trying to say, I've been wanting to see you. There's something I've wanting, been wanting to say to you for a very long time. <laughs> Why don't you just... <laughs> do you think you will do that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. yeah. I, I lie awake at night just dreaming <laughs> of the moment. <laughs> I'm, I'm just hoping that someone in the high street is just there and watching and, and saying, oh, I've been wanting to say it too. You know, just, yeah. oh, I, I hope, I really hope that you're not the only MP who gets to do that. Mm. But most of them are wonderful. You know, I, 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 love, I, I loved representing a constituency where I wanted to live and enjoyed living. That's why I'm going to stay there. Uh, it's home. Um, and um, most of them are very good. But, you know, any political organisation or community has had a difficult, divisive time following the 2016 referendum. Uh, but by and large, the, the, uh, East Leicestershire, Rutland, Melton Mowbray, traditional areas, Stilton cheese, pork pies, blah, blah, blah. It's great. just great. It's the Cotswolds without the snobs. <laughs> As I said to the Prince of Wales. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, can we edit that bit out? Is that a... <laughs> Not at all. Of course not. The thing is, I always think of you as such a robust character, as someone because you're funny and because you are charismatic, you seem to deal with it all so well. But I suppose there's a limit to that for anyone, isn't there? There will be two or three members of a local party. I mean, was it, was it Brexit that these three were giving you hell over? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all Brexit-related. I mean, I, I, I can be tough in politics, but I'm, I'm quite sensitive. I'm quite sentimental. I sort of cry at Mary Poppins and, you know, <laughs> 101 Dalmatians and all that kind of stuff. Um, what is I, it about those films that set you off, do you think? I'm just quite soppy, actually. I don't, I don't know, I just... Uh, you know, Mary Poppins I'm, is kind of, I suppose, harks back to a purer time. Is there a kind of nostalgia in it? Is it the... Oh, yeah, I like, yeah, I like a bit of, you know, nostalgia and looking back, and a romantic story with a happy, soppy ending. No, I'm, I'm quite... Richard Curtis films. You know what? Yeah, you, you yeah. Been, you'd have been a good Prime Minister in a Richard Curtis film. Am I that... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much! Make a complete clot of... Oh, no, there's one good-looking one, wasn't there? Yeah, that's right. Hugh Grant? Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, that's right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it could be in the next career, you know. I'd be... You could yeah. do an Impressionist tour. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you've got Tony Blair, William Hague, John Major. Yeah. Are there uh, any others that you do? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, mean, I don't be... think that's quite my métier, really. But, but just... that, the picture you paint of um, the sort of Commons tea rooms just sounds fantastic. It makes it sound like a really bright and vivid place full of characters. I mean, is that, is that the reality of it day to day? Is it the reality now? Well, it can be great fun. I mean, love a bit of banter and all that. But, I mean, the difficulty of the last couple of years is going into it and just finding some of your own side pretty difficult to sit down with. I mean, it's not been edifying. And is um, it people like Bill Cash that have been the worst? Um, no, he's, he's all right. I mean, just some of the more sort of ideological zealots uh, are... Reese Mogg? Um, <laughs> I haven't done Rhys Mogg yet. <laughs> Quite the most marvellous time I'm having. <laughs> hi, hi, no, I won't say Heidi. No, I, um, it's it's um, no, it's 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 become quite fractious actually. The personal relationships in Parliament have become quite fractious, and that we need now a period of healing, which I hope the I hope a good result will assist. Has it on the other side though? Have you perhaps formed friendships with people on? In other parts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, Brexit, in a way, has brought you together. Yeah, uh, yes, I think that's true. But I've always had friendships across uh, the party, uh, across the party divide, uh, on select committees, common causes, you know, Palestine, whatever it might be, where I've, I've built up relationships with the SNP and Lib Dems and Labour, uh, which I feel very strongly about. I think, you know, justice for Palestine's got lost in so much of our international discussion at the moment. Um, so, yeah, there are friendships across Parliament, and it's very important they, they exist. And who, who are your sort of best friends in the Labour Party? I, was, I mean, I, I like Lindsay Hoyle, the new speaker. I think that's a very good choice. Uh, uh, you really like be... that, and you like Southern Northern like that. Oh, Alan Duncan, I tell you, eyes off and claws, by the way. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> And, uh, no, come on, come on, no, let's be fur. Fur, fur, <laughs> don't say fat, it's got to be fur, 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 order. But you'd be a big character, won't Massive you? improvement. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you like Burko? Speaker Hobbit. <laughs> but that's, that's taller than you, isn't it? <laughs> Did you not get on with him? I always made sure I did, because you've got to respect the office and you want to make sure you get called to speak. But I think that he demeaned the place. Mister! He was like a baying donkey. <laughs> you know. Mister! Order! Shut up, man! You know, disgusting. No way to chair the House of Commons. And he made it vulgar, noisier, uh, more confrontational, at a time when it needed the opposite. He should have been a calmer, more reasoned person. And I think he has a lot to answer for, for um, rendering it a, a much more brutal, abusive uh, place. And uh, I thought he was a, 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 an ill-suited speaker. But supporters of his would say he uh, you know, strengthened the role of Parliament, particularly backbenchers, hold the executive to account more. No, that was his mantra. What did he do? He more emergency questions and debates. Yeah, but what's that it just allows the same MPs to ask the same questions time and time again. So if the Prime Minister makes a statement on something when she or he also have a job to do, to make her stand there for two and a half to three hours 
to answer 100 questions that are all the same achieves the square root of bugger all. And the standing orders say it should be about an hour. Good, do an hour. Prime Minister's questions, half an hour. If you want it to be different, change standing orders. So he abused the rules, pushed them to the limits, and rendered himself the person, the ego, uh, to speaking to her in America. I mean, he's now doing uh, Sky News on election night. I'm sorry, that's not right for the speaker. That's wrong. It's wrong. And he shouldn't be doing it. And do you, I mean, obviously sort of been allegations about him being a bully. I mean, do you, do you think there's any truth to any of that? No, he's a difficult man, but I, 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 you don't know what goes on behind the, the doors of the office, do you? And did you have any exchanges with him in Parliament? No, I made very sure that I maintained a polite, and, and actually cheerful, I used to tease him a bit about, you know, I mean, I, I sort of said, you know, when a little primary school kid asked me, what's the... What's the rudest thing anyone had ever said to me in politics? I said, when they came up to me in the street and said, good morning, Mr. Burko. (laughs) 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 So we we always had this sort of teasing about height and looking the same and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, my my judgment of his conduct in office is is not favorable. When when you say height, I mean, that's, you've both got silver hair. Careful now. Let's go um, to the but you're a f- wear wear silver hair like a crown. <coughs> you still there? Yeah, still there. Still there. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess what I was going to say was, it was a compliment to his. Go keep going there. That's all right. You dress better than him, I would say. Oh bloody hell! Anyone can dress better. Than him. <laughs> <laughs> no purple terrelin ties. You know, no sort of yeah. And I brush my hair. <laughs> You've got great hair. You've always had very strong hair and clothes, I would say. Thank you, darling. Thank you so much. But you were always... That, that was part of the... I remember, sort of, um, despite being a Labour person, I always liked Tory clothes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, nice collars of big fucking silk ties and shit. I'm about to send some stuff off to the jumble the sale if you'd like to, you know, no, to maybe not, actually. <laughs> you can have a tie, have a tie, that'll fit. But I, I, was, I loved that, that Hague era. There was a Hugh oh. Hague Portillo of, like, stripy shirts. Oh, well, I got my seats in Savile, uh, suit seats, got my suits in Savile Row. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like um, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong trousers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that Hague look was kind of blue shirt, mm. gold tie. Yeah, it, it wore that all the time. Yeah. Really striking look. Mm. And and Cameron always wore a green one. Yes, uh, and green with a very small knot. Yeah, they, yeah. Never tie a Windsor knot. Very tacky. But you know, Cameron also <laughs> would always wear a collar size a bit too big because he'd get very hot. So when he was leader of the opposition, we always noticed there'd be that awkward gap at the front. So he'd do the top button of an tie, but there'd be re- it looked like he put his dad's shirt on. No, it's not good. It was just a bit too... And when he didn't do that, obviously, his face would get very red. But he also... Uh, the two things I got from Cameron. I was always wearing a collar size a bit too big. You get warm, and I do. Also, he said, he says that not going for a piss before his 2005 leadership speech against yeah. David Davis. So his theory, and apparently you got it from Enoch. Enoch, always, always make a speech feeling you need to go. Yes, Enoch, it's always, a, yeah, it revs you up. 
Yeah. yeah so like when you when you get nervous or yeah. something at work and you need a pee, you don't actually need a pee. It's nervous energy. And if you piss it out, you lose that adrenaline. <laughs> so I think I read that Cameron would. The problem I have now is I'm like, well, I need that. So I'm just drinking water before going on stage. <laughs> So I actually do need a piss. <laughs> so don't just not go for a piss. <laughs> if I get a bladder infection, I'm blaming that on Cameron as well. <laughs> Maybe the trouble is, you're, you're making me feel I want to go. This is very... <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that, I remember that with Cameron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because you were described um, as the Conservative's Peter Mandelson. Oh, God, was I? It's very unfair. No, but that's, that's a great uh, compliment, surely. <laughs> I see it as a compliment. No one else does. <laughs> I think it was a fleeting reference to uh, being a, an effective sort of spokesman or promoting an argument. I think that's what they meant. Um, in all other respects, um, I respectfully sort of hold back from the comparison. <laughs> all right, sexual audience uh, question. So if you could indicate clearly, we'll get a microphone over to you. And I can ask for uh, one-sentence questions, and if possible, one-sentence answers. But if you put your hand up very clearly so I can see, because the, the lights are quite <coughs> bright. I've been, I've been ignoring the audience on the left. I'm sorry, it's the bright light. <coughs> My political apologies. instinct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lifetime of uh, ignoring the left. Right, so if, if people put their hand up and I will come round to... Is there any on the balcony? Do shout. Oh, yes, the there is. There. Oh, sorry, yes, there's, there's one there. And then we'll come up there. I'm a professional questioner asker at this. Um... Great speech, great, great talk. Um, what would your advice be about people who feel themselves outside the um, fold entering politics? It's a very good question, because I think a lot of people feel totally excluded from politics at all. They think politics talk a language that doesn't relate to them. And um, that probably deters also a lot of people lots of other reasons as well, from wanting to go into politics. Um, I think one of the areas we underappreciate is the value of people at a local level, at the councillor level, who are in politics and do so much good. Um, I think I would say you've got to learn and appreciate that the system is as it is, uh, and it only works when people in a democracy participate in that democracy. And if you reject the, you know, politics as you see it, you are rejecting the democratic process. So you have to accept it for all its flaws. And we suffer, and I use the word suffer, the pressures of 24-hour news, social media, and we are volunteers and we don't have to do it. And um, if it becomes too miserable for people to want to do it, you have no democracy at all and you do not have good people in government. So I'd say swallow hard, Take it as it is, get stuck in, and at the very least, have a view and vote. But what, what do you think politics could do to, to attract new talent? Because at the moment it seems to be such a harsh environment. Well, it takes us into the very, very difficult area of what MPs are paid and expenses and is it consistent with the family life and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it also takes us into the difficult world of journalism, where... People who go into politics with the best of motives then face a daily barrage of, you know, journalistic inquisition, which is how can I tr trip you up and get a story at your expense? And you can't have constructive politics when that is the constant bludgeoning um, sort of pressure of the daily life. So you need the big interview, the big understanding that people should be allowed to say what they want to say and then you form your own view. 
And when people get criticised for the smallest slip or, you know, use of a word which is no longer acceptable in the modern world, politics just dies. And we're, we're, we're sort of in a difficult sort of medical condition at the moment. When you talk, you know, words that aren't acceptable anymore, I mean, um, you know, I, I feel that with Blairism. <laughs> on the other side of the coin. <laughs> right, let's, uh, I think there was, th oh, there was one over by the bar, yes? And then I'll come to you upstairs. And there's a chat like, oh, upstairs, oh, there's a chat there. sorry. I'm so sorry, oh, right there. God, I couldn't see it. Oh, there's a balcony up there, yes. Oh, I couldn't see that, I've got the lights coming right at me. Uh, given the fact that, Given the fact that you seem to have found yourself in a Lib Dem group therapy session, <laughs> what, what advice would you now give Jo Swinson, given the fact that she's in this terrible position at this point in the election? Good question. No, I mean, it's very difficult for her because <coughs> she's, she's only just become leader, really. So she's not much there in people's consciousness, and yet she's gone straight into a crucial election. I think she will have felt that there would be a massive surge in that um, a Remain point of view would be the binary choice of this election, but it is a general election. And so Brexit matters and is perhaps the dominant issue, but it's also lost in the wash of the generality of the election. Uh, in terms of advice, I mean, I think that, I mean, it's a cruel point, but they said it of Thatcher. I think they're finding her voice very brittle and therefore the image is quite uniform and simple. She hasn't had a chance to express a, a depth of character, which she may well possess. So it's very difficult for her, um, and I think they'll pick up a couple of seats somewhere, might lose some somewhere, um, but the great surge that was expected, I think, has subsided quite a lot. And uh, stop killing squirrels. Poor <laughs> oh, squirrels. Oh, I love squirrels. Although my dog doesn't. <laughs> um, it's a related question, but with the um, Conservatives having gone, in my view, so far to the right and Labour having gone so far to the left, why do you think no one has been able to successfully occupy the centre ground? Why have the Lib Dems yeah, not, yeah. not gained any traction? Why did Change UK not take off? Look, I, think, I, I mean, I think that is the ultimate question of politics for the years ahead, because um, we are facing a very binary, or polarised um, positioning of the two major parties, where one can say, you know, Labour's been taken over by momentum from outside, and we've been taken over by mogmentum from inside. <laughs> um, and the Lib Dems, because they are championing Brexit, are not dominating the middle ground because they've got this singular issue which is sort of layered on top of it. But because I think the main answer to your question is because we are going through a Brexit period and a period where there is a dearth of intellectual and philosophical thought applied to our broader politics that the idea of broader positioning doesn't really get a look in. Um, so we are looking at at polarised politics at a time where we need greater depth of thought, where we're not, you know, one of the things when I, you know, I stood for two minutes to be leader of the party in 2005 was that Conservatives don't adequately understand poverty and the uh, you know, an underclass of difficulty and, you know, poor eating, poor education, poor family life, 
And if we don't understand that, then we're not a national party. Now, we don't have enough discussion about areas like that. And I think I go back to journalism, and I think that the nitpicking questions about whether a small bit of mathematics on social care, whatever it is, are put, are not enough. And we ought to be looking at the much bigger picture of social care and the National Health Service and everything. And journalism has a lot to answer for in trying to trip up a politician rather than draw out uh, an explanation of what their view of the really big challenges of the world are. It's lacking. Poverty-stricken. Okay, we'll take the last question on the balcony. If you could keep your hand up so that when Daisy comes around the uh, <coughs> microphone, she can see you. Uh, it's just the chap over here. Yeah, I've got him. I've got, I've got an outline behind the light. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like I've done. there have been too many jokes at your expense in terms of height. But you're not going to use a balcony. <laughs> <laughs> so far away. Oh, well, yeah. It's just the Jupiter. You can sit there with a telescope. Right. I could sing that song, that yeah, musical song about who's that boy looking down from the gallery. Anyway, keep going. Go. <laughs> Have you kept a diary and do you plan to publish it? Great question. I was always told by Alan Clark that if you keep a diary, Never, ever let anyone know that you have. <laughs> I've got extensive notes. <laughs> and finally, Alan, before we finish, sorry, excuse me, before we finish, I have to ask you, and it will be on everyone's mind all night, what, after David Cameron made that comment to you about the cat, what was then said afterwards? <laughs> Thank God I married James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what an amazing night we've had. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming. And as always, we've been such a wonderful audience. Uh, the next show is at the Bloomsbury Theatre on the 18th of December, where my guest is Sadiq Khan. Uh, and there's about literally four tickets left on the Bloomsbury Theatre website. So uh, if you would like a ticket for that, they're available tonight. And uh, the house band MP4 will be making a return. Uh, we'll be back here in the new year, in the last Wednesday of January. And guests for those New Year's shows will be announced soon. Uh, but firstly, uh, enjoy the election. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it's important to vote and all that. Um, just I'll tell you what, let's just do a poll at the end in terms of who we think is going to... So we'll just do some cheers. So... Uh, give me a cheer if you think there will be a Conservative majority. Yay! Okay. Hung Parliament? Yay! Labour majority? Yay! <laughs> uh, Lib Dem gains? Yeah. Oh, so there you go. So uh, a Tory majority with some Lib Dem gains. Mm. Would, would you concur with that, Alan? I think so. Yep. Yep. No uh, point having yep. an action. We've heard it first. We've sorted it all. Uh, we'll see you next month. If I don't see you before, Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Well, there you go, Alan Duncan, what a character and fantastic fun. He's got some great stories. I mean, you really sense that you could have hours and hours and hours with him, uh, getting these wonderful anecdotes out of him. Uh, but you also get a sense that this is someone whose politics are in a particular place, that maybe the party and the country uh, isn't recognising at the moment. Um, and, and that's a real shame. But he was so funny. Keep your stories coming in, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Nav sent me a story, said he was door-knocking in Brentford and Isleworth on behalf of Ruth Cadbury in 2017. Knocked on one door and one lady said she was voting for Sinn Féin. 
Uh, I was about to correct her, but instead of her telling her that Sinn Féin candidates don't run in the constituency for obvious reasons, I was just happy not to correct her so that she didn't vote Tory. That's the spirit, Nav. Keep your stories coming in to politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. I'm on tour, and the tour starts in January next year, which isn't that long away, at the amazing Salford Lowry. If you go to mattford.com slash live, I'm going all over the country. Sheffield, Nottingham, Aberdeen, loads of other places that I can't remember off the top of my head, but if you check on uh, on the website, mattford.com slash live, perhaps a Christmas present, and sign up to the mailing list as well to get advance notice of political party guests in the new year. Um, and yes, please tell everyone about it, share it, do leave a review on whatever iTunes, uh, Spotify or whatever platform you listen, because it really does help other people find it. And I'll see you next week. 